And now please join me in the litany of invitation and confession found in your order of worship. We have been called away from that which is routine. We have been called together to worship God. We bring our anxieties and fears and frustrations that distract us. We ask God to grace us by giving us the focus of hope. With longing hearts, we desire to experience God. With joyful songs and earnest prayers, we seek God. We are called by God to love others that are outside our comfort zones. However, we often fail to love. We confess our sin. We have lived smaller lives than God intended. We ask God to forgive us. We pause for a moment of silent confession. Sisters and brothers, we are forgiven. God is generous in love and full of grace. Let us live lives as large as the grace and love of God. We are forgiven. Let us lift our voices in praise to God. Welcome to the worship of God on this beautiful day that may mean an end to the monsoon season that has come upon Atlanta, especially on the weekends. So welcome to this place of worship and these people who worship. As we gather, there may be guests among us. There is on the edge of your order of service uh, a welcome card. If you're a guest, if you would complete that, Drop it in the offering plate. It'll help me connect name and face with you. And for anyone, if you would like to make a prayer request, it is an honor for our staff and for our deacons to pray for you by name and by need uh, every week. Uh, The texts that we have today uh, start or end with the gospel lesson that has that familiar word, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Also, Andrea, during the time with the children, will reinforce that about how do we heal our hearts and uh, what is forgiveness all about. I'll be trying to preach from the Old Testament text. As you notice, uh, Daniel, my colleague, is not here today. He uh, is, uh, has just returned from a week's vacation in France with his family, and they all came home sick. So, fortunately, Karen Massey is doing everything today, including preaching the sermon. (laughs) All right, I'll try to cobble together something. But she's doing about everything else while uh, some of us play in our handbell choir. The Old Testament text will be the focus of my sermon. It's the story or the tail end of the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. It's about his forgiveness and reconciliation 
of her uh, of his brothers. And so uh, Karen Massey will lead us now in hearing uh, the reading of that text as we move into our time for worship. Welcome. Joseph claims the common ground of forgiveness with his brothers. A reading from the book of Genesis. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him because they were so dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And so they came closer, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but it was God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me and do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And Joseph kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked to him. Here ends the first lesson. And now let's say our prayers. Holy, merciful, and compassionate God, we gather in this place this morning with the hope of encountering your presence as we worship. Surrounded by the bright colors of stained glass, the musical strains of bells and organ, the challenging words from scripture and pulpit, and the warm fellowship of friends and family, it is easy, O oh God, to feel and enjoy your presence among us in this sanctuary, and we give thanks. But God, lest we get too comfortable this morning, you remind us in today's scripture that you often ask very hard things of us. You ask us to forgive others, to bless those who curse us, and to love our enemies. Your request, O oh God, seems almost impossible. Forgiveness is hard when others' words have cut us deeply or when we have been offended by another's actions. Your request, O oh God, seems almost impossible because we already know how we would like to love our enemies. We would love our enemies to be far away. We would love them to stay in their place. We would love them not to challenge our ways of thinking or change the way we live. We would love them to be like us. O oh God, we want the easy way, and yet you have given us the hard path. Remind us that we have been recipients of your grace. Remind us that you have forgiven us when we have sinned 
and that you have loved us when we have been less than lovable. And so now you call us to do likewise. Grant us the willingness and endurance to journey with you, to live into the hard way so that we might more fully be channels of your grace and peace to all people. May our encounter with you this morning turn our grudges into grace, our fractures into forgiveness, and our hardness into hearts broken open by your love. Now, O oh God, hear us and forgive us once more as we pray together the prayer Christ taught his disciples long ago to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The Apostle Paul answers a church's question about life after death. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 50. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a physical body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Here is the second lesson. Would the children please come forward for our time with the lesson? Anybody have an offering? If you do, you can put it right here. There you go, Levi. You put your offering in there for me. Anybody else have one? Levi, you want to give that to him? All right. Is everybody sitting down? Good. Well, it's good to see Levon, will you hold on to that for me? There you go. Thank you. Big helper. Well, I wanted to talk to you today a little bit. About, I'm going to put my feet right here. So today... I brought something, and I wanted to ask you, have you ever gotten hurt before? You have? What, have you gotten, like, a boo-boo? Leah got a boo-boo this week on her nose. She got all scraped up. Have you ever got scraped up before? You do. Have you ever gotten your, like, I brought some things, like, this is a 
ace bandage. Have you ever had to put one of these? Sometimes when my knee hurts, I have to put these irons. I had to put one of these on. Um, sometimes when my nose hurts, I have to use this spray. Oh my! Do y'all ever use anything like that? Maybe some tissues. These are good for lots of things that hurt, right? Band-aids, they're great. This is some medicine for, like, if you have a headache that can, that can help. Yeah, and then this is sometimes when my ankle hurts, I, I put this on. But, you know, these are all things that we can use. Like, if your knee hurts, you might use that, right? And if, you're, if your scrape hurts, you might use that, a Band-aid, right? So these are all things that we use. But what do we, what do, we do if our heart hurts, can I get, can I use that? Mm, okay, well, how about these? No. Mm. How about the icy hot? Can we use that? Mm. Well, hmm. wait, I have, I have one more thing in here. What's this? What do you see? Can you see yourself in here? You can. Well, today we're going to hear a little bit about what Pastor James says about forgiveness. And our scripture is going to tell us a little bit about when our heart hurts. And sometimes, does your heart hurt sometimes when somebody is not so nice to you? What if somebody says something mean to you? Does that Does that kind of make your, who, give me a thumbs up if somebody's ever said something mean and it's made your heart hurt. Yeah. What about if someone ever left you out? Yeah, all that kind of hurts, right? But hey, you remember this mirror? And who did you see in it? Saw yourself. Today in our scripture, what it tells us is that when our hearts hurt, we... We can help each other heal our hearts and feel better if we can say nice things and we can love each other and we can forgive each other. Maybe that's not as easy as getting out a Band-Aid, huh? It might take a few times, maybe even more than a few times to really help someone's heart. But you know what? You can with God's help. Okay? So let's say a little prayer. Everybody bow your head. Dear God, thank you for how much you love us. Help us to love each other and to forgive each other even when our hearts hurt and when we hurt each other's hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's go with Miss Mary Lou. Thank you, Levon. Such a big helper.
Jesus challenges his followers to live into the ethic of inviting God's love. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend and expect nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure that you get back. The Gospel of the Lord. You'll excuse me if I check my text for a moment. Now, don't look at me that way. I've seen you do it. But uh, Liz and I have our daughter, Emily, who is in labor right now, giving birth to our second granddaughter. And so if, uh, if I get a message during the sermon, uh, you'll need to forgive me. I'm going to break into a duet with Kurt Thomas with, Life is sweet. And off we go. Well, now that I've gotten that out of my system, the first story we heard tonight, th- today, <laughs> yeah, that we heard today is the Old Testament story of Joseph. And the Joseph story leaves us with a question. It just sits in our laps. And the question is something that every human being has to answer. And we have to answer it every day. Matter of fact, you'll be answering it during our time of worship. Here's the question. What will I do with my pain? I got that question from Richard Rohr, who many of you read and get an e- a daily email from him. He's a Catholic priest, a prolific writer, and he made a statement a few years ago that a lot of people have been quoting, and it is, pain that is not transformed is transferred. 
Pain that is not transformed is transferred. By pain, he means emotional and spiritual, familial pain. Now, there are, there's physical pain, too, and that factors in. I had about with that three months last year. Some of you have been dealing with that kind of chronic pain all of your life. But he's more speaking of pain that's emotional and spiritual, that we bring sometimes from childhood, wounds that we bring from our family, sometimes a parent or beyond. It's a pain that we bring when we need to prove something as an adult. That's one of my sins. The pain of inadequate love or scar tissue that it builds, that's what he's meaning by pain that is not transformed, is transferred. The transform means something like this. How can my hurt help me be open to a larger life? Maybe with other people who go through hurt, or people, groups, or marginalized persons who go through hurt. To be transformed is like to have LASIK surgery done on the soul. So that when you look at the world, it looks differently. Your perception has been reshaped. Maybe you can be more loving toward others who have blinders because you can see your own blinders. Maybe open to a neighbor with a different faith because we are all like moles that crawl out of the earth in the darkness, blinded by the light, squinting at what we see. We heard the text read from the gospel, Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Pain that is not transformed is transferred. And the transfer means to pass it along. The Bible warns us about this several times in the Old Testament. And the sins of the fathers will be carried on to the third and fourth generations. I figure mothers too. Because there's a way that things trickle down. We project our pain onto others and transfer that pain. Others that activate a sense of threat in us. Sometimes we as parents pass it along to our children. We take our pain and push it into our marriages and in our politics. My goodness, is not politics a great projection screen and a great place to take our pain? We saw some of that this week as we saw a son providing testimony in the uh, reported voting count, counting scandal in, New, in uh, North Carolina. Pain that is not transformed is transferred. But the good news is that church is a great laboratory, an opportunity for us to work on that pain of transformation. Sometimes it's like the snap of a finger. I drop a coin, someone picks it up, and I realize it's a person of a nation, another nationality. Or it's something that happens over a long time that I've been working on a relationship to make it better, and then it happens. Is it all of a sudden, or is it a lifelong task? And the answer is, yes, is both. Now let's look at the story of Joseph through that lens of Richard Rohr and see what might be transforming in us. Uh, 
Let's call this sort of Joseph 101. It may inform our parenting or our partnering or our lives together. Uh, As we all know, our lives start before we are born. This is a good day to remember it as Emily births our second granddaughter. Our lives begin before we are born, generations before. So here's Joseph, in case you didn't bring your genogram or our family tree of the Old Testament. Here's Joseph, but before him, there's Abraham, and then there is Isaac, and then there is Jacob, who births ten sons, and then his wife dies, and he remarries and births an eleventh son, and that son is named Joseph. So Joseph's father is Jacob. Jacob's name means the trickster, the deceiver. Remember, Jacob is a twin to Esau, cheats him out of a birthright. He despised his brother. He tricked his brother. Remember, the sins of the fathers will be visited on the third and fourth generation. That is some of his background. But when Joseph was born to Jacob, the eleventh son, he was the son of his old age. And so whenever Jacob saw Joseph, there was a twinkle in his eye, right? Because he was his favorite. Now, if you have sibs, which of your sibs brings or brought the twinkle to your mother and father's eyes? You know? Most people know exactly who it is. But if you don't know, that probably means you're the one. And that's a direct quote from my sister. Uh, with whom uh, we have been in therapy and conversation for years about which one got the twinkle from the parent's eye. Well, Joseph got that, and Jacob didn't help the sibling rivalry story any. Remember, Jacob gives his son Joseph Joseph's technicolor coat. Another translation of that word is a jacket with long sleeves. But either way... It means, Joseph, you're wearing a bullseye on your clothes because Joseph was going to be the target of his brother's anxiety, his bro- all of the brother's uh, uh, anger. If Joseph was vying for Mr. Congeniality or the Lifetime Achievement Award for the Oscars given by his brothers, he would not get them. He had this dream, for instance, two dreams about them bowing down to him. And so he decided to tell his brothers. Bad idea. One was, I dreamed of the moon and the sun. That's mom and pop. And there were all these stars around that were bowing down to me as a star. And that was all of you, brothers. It was about that day that said, we've got to kill him. And they set out to do so. It's been said there are some people who are so proud they can strut while sitting down. Joseph, I think, was one of those, for he had not been schooled in the classroom of pain. Life had not afforded him enough angst, enough motivation to be transformed. So his brothers hatch a plan to kill him. They've got motive. They wait for opportunity. When the time came, they didn't kill him. They went with plan B, which was to put him in a hole in the ground, 
and let him die there. But no sooner than he hits the bottom that he starts climbing up, maybe scratching fingers against the muddy walls, trying to get out, and a rope falls down. He thinks, well, my brothers have forgiven me. All is well. He pulls himself out, and they tie his wrists and tie his feet because a caravan happened to come through. They go with Plan C, and they sell him into slavery. The caravan takes him all the way to Egypt, and there is where he lives for the rest of his life. Now, the hardest part's yet to come, for the brothers especially. They've got to go and lie to their father. Now, there's a mural, a painting around our church of that moment when they bring the bloody garment and the father can't believe it, and he is in anguish. You remember where it is? It's right in front of the coffee pot out here for Sunday school every week as we're reviewing the scores of last night's game and the justification of the referee's call. There's old Jacob doing that who can't believe. You see, when you lie like that, then everybody's got to keep the lie, all ten brothers, for a long time. Do you think they really ever made contact with their father again? You think they turned aside when Father came? You think when they all sat at the table and Father said, I sure missed Joseph, you think they were able to swallow the food that was in their mouth? They had to perpetuate the lie and the silence. And meanwhile, Joseph is in Egypt. He's gone from the top of the heap to the bottom of the barrel, right? But to whom does the barrel belong? If you heard Karen reading that story, the barrel does not belong to the lying brothers or to the slave system of Egypt. The barrel doesn't even belong to almighty Pharaoh. The barrel and all of its content belong to God. Joseph works his way up in Egypt, becomes the chief attendant to the chief of police. That's how we pronounced it back home, the chief of police. They may have even given him a badge to wear. But then the next turn of events, Joseph is sexually harassed by his boss's wife. Joseph pleads, me too, but is not believed. He speaks the truth, but it's not heard. Guilt is assumed, and he's thrown into prison. But word gets out that Joseph gets dreams. He can interpret them. He doesn't have a crystal ball, but he has a divine imagination. Pharaoh calls on him to interpret this nightmare that he's been having. And Joseph says, well, I know what that means. It means we're going to have seven years of abundance of crops, followed by seven years of scarcity and drought. So we need to save up the grain for seven years to get through the hard times. Pharaoh says that's exactly what it is and pulls up Joseph and makes him second in command to Pharaoh himself. But, but don't forget the question that we started with. The engine of the story is the question, is Joseph really evolving as a spiritual person? Politically he is, that's its whole track. But is his pain transforming him or is it being transferred? Well, all is well till the brothers show up. 
The father has sent them and said, go look for in Egypt and see if they'll sell us some grain. That's right, the murderous, slave-trading, lying, pain-inflicting brothers. They want to buy food. Somehow they are shuffled into the west wing of Pharaoh's uh, building, and they end up in the vice Pharaoh's office. That'd be Joseph. He recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. What happens next is this intricate dance on Joseph's part of deception with his brothers, disguise in that he doesn't reveal his identity, accusation. He even plants evidence in their saddlebags of thievery. Now, where would he have learned that? Oh, yeah. After all, Joseph's father is Jacob, who was known for his trickery and for his deceit. And our question is answered, aha, the pain is not being transformed. It is being transferred. He's a chip off the old block. We knew it. The gravity of agony bends toward revenge. Case closed. But then, a miracle happened. In the secret cauldron of the soul, the alchemy of God's grace does its job. And the poison of pain's transference is changed into the power of grace's transformation. What a, a movement that, that is light years. It could have been years in the making, or it could have been the snap of the finger, and in that moment... His heart, is, his heart has changed. What's the proof of it? Well, the proof is the tears. The tears, that convulsive exorcism that we've all had, that I have had and maybe some of you have had, that convulsive exorcism where we can't talk, where we, we can barely breathe, where it is anything but pretty, but boy, is it powerful. Joseph throws his head on his brother's shoulders and weeps his relief. What is it that Arthur Gordon says about saltwater healing? I wouldn't have met Arthur Gordon had it not been for Gloria Smathers, who pushed me toward him in Savannah. And I went to meet him. Next year he died. Thank God I got to meet him. He said salt water heals in one of three ways, through the sea, through our sweat, or through our tears. The tears could be tasted as they ran down his face and fell on his brothers. Since the olfactory sense is one of our most primal, though it had been a lifetime away, I bet they smelled like family to Joseph. And his heart is transformed. I wanted this so much for a character in a movie that I watched on Friday. I got to introduce a film for the Jewish Film Festival in uh, Atlanta. And I did so at the perimeter, mall, a perimeter, whatever, perimeter point, Regal Cinema, it was Friday afternoon. 
It was 1.30 Friday afternoon, north of the perimeter, with, uh, with cold rain falling. I thought it would be me and the projectionist. And the place was sold out. There was 250 Jews and one Gentile. And they were uh, joyful to invite me. And I was so grateful. I did a shout-out, Ken. Uh, Ronnie Van Gelder and uh, uh, Sherry Frank saved me a seat. I sat by them. I said my interfaith friendships have changed me, and they mean so much. This movie <laughs> lasted two hours and 45 minutes. Yeah, I know. I know. They, everybody stayed. Uh, nobody left. Of course, the, the bathroom lines were long after the movie. But they stayed through it. I said Charlton Heston took shorter than that to point, part the Red Sea. They all stayed. The movie was called A Fortunate Man, and it was about a genius who walked the high wire of madness. And with great burden, we watched the slow motion that his heart could barely change. But his fiancés did. And in a poignant scene at the end, she says, the joy and sorrow that we have had in our life is what gives our life meaning. He had a Christian father who was cruel. And out of that cruelty, he was cruel to others that he met. So does this Joseph story, does this story I've just told, have anything to do with our parenting, with our partnering, with our projecting onto others, with our marriages, our sibling rivalries, our plotting along hour by hour? Maybe you could pray with me this week, every morning, God, what might be transformed in my life today? Maybe that's what Joseph prayed the very morning about this story that we've heard, that he falls on his brother's shoulders and says, I am your brother, Joseph. And by the way, when Joseph's descendants finally get to leave Egypt, led out by Moses 400 years, 400 years later, Moses says, get your stuff, but travel light. Moses says, get the Ark of the Covenant and remember God. And there's one other thing as we go. Get the bones of Joseph and take those with us. After all, Joseph learned some of the largest lessons in life. That pain that is not transformed is transferred. But God is always at work and never, ever gives up. Amen. Amen.
Here at Northside Drive, whenever a word is shared, an invitation is given. This invitation is for anyone who would like to join us here and become part of this family of faith who seeks to discern and live out God's revelation in this time and place. All are welcome, so please come as we stand and sing our hymn of dedication.
Each week, an important part of our worship together is sharing news that keeps us connected with one another. Here are some important highlights for today and the coming week. And believe it or not, Lent will be here in two weeks. So next Sunday, March 3rd, there will be a Family and Children's Fat Tuesday Pancake Lunch at noon in the Fellowship Hall, and it will be catered by Waffle House. Can I come? Anyway, all are invited, and at the luncheon, our Director of Children's Ministries, Andrea Johnson, will do some teaching as to the meaning of Ash Wednesday with our children. So please ask Andrea for more details, and then um, RSV to the church office or Andrea. Know that everybody's invited. And then just after church today, Don Janney, our moderator, asks that we remain in the sanctuary for just a few minutes, briefly, right, Don? Um, to talk about this year's um, budget. So the Finance Committee will propose the budget for this coming year, and then we as a congregation will vote on it. Another way that we stay connected here at Northside Drive is by praying for one another. Please keep these folks in mind this week. Barney Moore, who was discharged from Piedmont Hospital yesterday and has gone back to Rehab Center. Larry Prince, who is at home on hospice. Kathy Harris's mother, who is in the hospital in Hendersonville, North Carolina. The Daniel Hedrick family, who had a great vacation, but as you know, they've all returned sick. And then for Jim Hermance, who is recovering from um, a broken arm at home. And then as always, let's continue just to pray for one another and be glad to see one another on this day. Now, our handbell choir will offer a joyful song about the light of God's love that shines in all of our lives. And let's continue the worship of our God by the giving of tithes and offerings. Thank you. 
let us pray. God, who fills our lives with abundance, we offer these gifts to you as expressions of our gratitude. Accept them as our commitment to honor you with what we carry in our hearts as well as in our pockets. And may they be used to share your generous love and grace with a world that so needs good news. Amen. Because you are recipients of God's overflowing mercy and love, go now and offer it to others, turning grudges into grace, fractures into forgiveness, and hardened hearts that are broken open by God's love. Amen. <laughs> 